Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Hi, and welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we explore all things related to reproductive technology and all of the issues surrounding it. You know, we get to go a little bit more in depth. This is not the world of The Handmaid's Tale. This is people's real lives and how they affect, the, how these things affect them. I am your co-host. I'm Jennifer White. I am the owner of Colorado Surrogacy, and I get the great and distinct pleasure of hosting along with my sister, Ellen Trackman. No, no, my pleasure to host Aww. with you. Aww, so much love. <laughs> I'm Ellen Trackman. I am an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law, or art law for short, where we um, deal with the legal side of surrogacy, egg, sperm, embryo donation, forming families when you have to turn to someone and often a doctor for assistance. Um, I also write a weekly column called I Want to Put a Baby in You, same same name as the podcast for the website abovethelaw.com. And um, I'm honored to work with Jennifer and um, run Trackman Law Center, which focuses on the legal issues in art law. Jennifer to- does not run Trackman Law Center, though. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I work with Jennifer on Colorado Surrogacy and then have the law firm separately. Thank you for clarifying. To- yes. Sorry, I um, to get that legal disclaimer in there. You no, know? Okay. Yeah, disclaimer. There's no legal advice here. We're just talking. No. Okay. No. Not representing anyone. Okay. Uh, so today we are we have the honor of interviewing Sharon Lamoth. And this is one of those times where you really see how um, this technology, assisted reproductive technology, has really changed people's lives. Um, sometimes we get to interview surrogates. Sometimes we get to interview people whose businesses have um, are in this in the art world. Sometimes we interview people who help change the laws. And in Sharon's case, it's all of those where she's been involved for so many years in so many parts of her lives in so many different ways in changing her life, others' lives for the better, and even changing the law. So she's, uh, she has so much experience and also happens to be hilarious. So I'm excited to interview her. We're here today with Sharon Lamoth of Lamoth Surrogacy Consulting, and we're excited to explore her entire story. She's one of the most experienced people we have interviewed in the world of assisted reproductive technology with many interesting facets that her life has intersected with this world. Sharon, do you want to give your own uh, basic <laughs> interview before we dive into all parts of your story? Sure. I'll, I, I'm just really happy to be here. I know that this is going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, I, at the moment, run surrogacy consulting, um, Lamont Surrogacy Consulting and Lamont Services. Uh, basically, I help intended parents who are just starting the process and I educate them all about surrogacy, the different types of surrogacy and what to expect through the, the surrogacy journey. And Lamont Services, on the other hand, I assist people in the industry of third-party family formation. I help lawyers and doctors and um, psychologists and uh, other agencies to build their business in an ethical way, help them with their social media, help them with their recruiting, help them with their blogging, and uh, help new agencies start up in the right way, not the pop-up agency. Yeah. Not the pop-up agencies that just want to do their own thing. So basically those are the things that I do now 
Um, I'm hoping in the future to perhaps help a wider range of intended parents other than just here in Washington. Oh, and we'll we'll get to there of how you, why you can do more Ooh, services. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, so I know you just turned 25, <laughs> but yet you have. 20, 25 years of experience. 20, you, 20 years. <laughs> 20, good. That's amazing. Um, do you want to tell us how it all began? Sure. It's a long story. How much time do we have? Uh, all the time in the world. So, Go for it. So, <laughs> you know, hit, hit, the, hit the highlights. The, hi- the fun part. Okay. So basically, um, I have two children now. I have a 31-year-old son and a 22-year-old daughter. And I've been married 33 years. Uh, so yes, I am like 35, not 25 and (laughs) having, um, the experience of secondary infertility between my, my son and my daughter, where I didn't have any miscarriages. I just wasn't getting pregnant. And I, you know, went to the doctors after a year, asked what was, you know, going on and, they couldn't find anything wrong, but a hormonal imbalance. Would be, yeah, it is. It's very frustrating, especially when you've gotten pregnant with no problems the first time. And you think the second time you can just plan it. So our son was three and I just thought, you know, now's the time to add another child to our family. And, and this is what we wanted to do. Well, anyway, um, the doctor wasn't very helpful. It was just a regular OBGYN. And she put me on uh, Clomid. I think some of you listening will know what Clomid does to you. It basically turns you into the Wicked Witch of the West. And yes. supposedly, <laughs> you're supposed to have sex on Clomid to get pregnant. And when you don't even feel like uh, having sex alone, let alone with your husband. (laughs) That's not, that is not a whole year of that. And no, that did not work. So basically my husband, who is a saint just said, listen, I, I'm not pressuring you to have another child. We have a son, we have your grandmother, who's basically a second child. We took care of her from age 89 Mm. to hundred. She lived with us. Oh, wow. We loved her into longevity. So when I told, just a side story, when I told my husband, I'd really like my grandmother to move in with us. I said, she's 89. How long could it possibly be? <laughs> Guess what? It can wow. be 10 years. <laughs> just, That's incredible. Though. Just saying. Wow. What an incredible 10 years. And what an incredible 10 years for your kids yeah, too. She, I mean, I just have to say that. Awesome. It really is. She was born in 1989. I mean, sorry, 1899. So she, and she died in, in 1999. So when you have that kind, and, and also she had adopted my father who was the only child. And she actually experienced me go through the first part of my um, first surrogacy journey. Um, And I was pregnant when she passed away, but she was like, if that technology was available to me back in the 1930s, I would have definitely done something like that. You know, that's that's really, so, so, you know, we really affect many generations being surrogates, but let me, let me get back to my own story. So I had that experience. Um, And I just (laughs) kind of gave up, if you will. And the following years were were fruitful and as far as just growth within a family. And then my husband and I and son went on a trip to Las Vegas and met his parents out there. And we just we were all eating out and, and enjoying our restaurant, you know, enjoying different restaurants. And I started getting sick and I was like, I must have food poisoning. I must have food poisoning because no one else is getting sick and I'm sick all day long. 
Mm-hmm. So um, my husband went out and got a pregnancy test because he was like, you acted the same way with Tony. Well, get, my son is eight and a half years old, almost nine at this point. And I'm like, I am not pregnant, but go ahead and do that. And then I want to go to a clinic because this is ruining my vacation. Lo and behold, I have my son on the bed, reading the box, the pregnancy test box. I go into the bathroom. I do my thing. I come out. This is instructional. All kids need to learn how to do this, right? I know. He's sitting on the bed, reading the box. I show him the test. I'm like, what am I looking for? Because it had been over five or six years that I've actually taken one of these tests. He goes, oh my God, mom, you are pregnant. And he falls off the bed like a teenage boy (laughs) that just found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. And then he he pops up because we've been sharing rooms, you know, with him. And he said, you didn't, you know, well, I was in the room. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. I'm like, I don't even know how wow. this happened. <laughs> I looked at my husband. I d- <laughs> and then he's like, mom, really, let me explain really, it to you how it works. I, he That's- goes, I never said I didn't want to be an only child. <laughs> Where did this happen? When, you know, why did this happen? And, and without any complications or anything, I had our daughter. Um, by the way, when I went back from vacation, I was already eight weeks pregnant. So yeah, with this hormonal imbalance, you don't get your periods, you know, at your 28 day cycle. I mean, it was, I was used to missing two or three months at a time. I actually considered it a vacation. Um, you know, so I went ahead and, and I had her was happy. And then some friends approached, approached me just with the, the idea of, um, not the idea, but the conversation of we're trying, we want to have another child. We're thinking about adoption, but not really there yet. And I, w- I had heard about Joan London. I had heard about, you know, certain celebrities doing surrogacy. And I just threw it out there. I just said, why don't you look for someone to be a surrogate for you? Um, it was, and at this point you're not, you, you're not working in the surrogacy no, world absolutely. at all. I know yeah. nothing about surrogacy. I'm on this, you know, I'm working with the school, I'm volunteering, I'm taking care of my nice, grandmother, yeah. I'm doing other things. And, yeah. and, um, it's 1998. So I, I'm not, I'm not planning on being pregnant for any, I don't even think, you know, norm, a regular person, I think it needs to be someone way up, you know, the, the angel of, of mercy needs to come down and be your surrogate. It's not a normal person um, like me, but they, they looked around, they came back and they said, well, we, we really can't, none of our friends or family are, are they're either too old, they're pregnant they're or they're just not, you know, they're not interested. And I, I said, well, let me talk to my husband because I was done. I was done with having a family. My daughter was almost three at the time. And he was, he was like, are you sure you want to do this? This is, you know, (laughs) we don't know anything about this and you may not even be eligible because you had a problem getting pregnant. And I said, well, let's, let's go to the doctor and um, their doctor, their infertility doctor and see what they can do. So basically the doctor it flew me to Florida. I was living in New York at the time. That's a whole, I'll, I'll get to that part of the story. So I, I flew to, to Florida and the doctor who had just gotten someone's mother pregnant with their child. So she was giving birth to her own grandchild. I think it was the first one um, ever. And he said to me, I'm going to take care of all your hormones. You don't have to worry about that. If you can, you know, you can carry, you're healthy, you, you've got everything going for you. So you can do this if you'd like. And I was, and I was shocked. Were you, were you surprised? Did you think like, there's no way? Yeah. I I didn't know anything. Again, I wasn't working in the field. There was nothing online. There was, 
There was no, yeah. you know, in New York, there was like the desert. There, there was, I didn't yeah. know anything. I thought for sure he was just going to say, well, you had such a problem getting pregnant with your own child that we're not going to, you know, be able to. So was it different than it is like, so like now, and I mean, we see this all the time that you gather all the medical records, you send them in advance. Did you go through any no. of that or did you just literally be like, leap of faith, I'm just going to fly down for this exam? I'm, yeah, I'm just flying down for the exam. Um, the only part that uh, I did have a funny thing. I went to have my psychological evaluation and I'm using air quotes that you can't see. Um, <laughs> we, I got to pick someone in my area. I just picked a mental health person. I went to her, she sat down, she said, I know nothing about surrogacy. So why don't you tell me everything you know and we'll go from there. I told her everything I, I, I wow. gathered. She sent me the evaluation and said, change anything you'd like. And then send it back and I'll, I'll send it down to the doctor's office. Wow. And the only thing oh I changed was my grandmother's age in there because I told her about the adoption. I told her how I felt about helping other people because my parent, my, my father was adopted and how I felt like this would be something that um, I would be changing lives. I'd be adding a branch to someone's family tree and that I felt like. But you edited out your time in oh, prison yeah. they, or in a mental they health didn't ward, ask, all of that. You she didn't ask out. for anything. I wow. had no background check. Wow. Well, of course I knew, I knew these people. So, I mean, but none of, none of that. And the uh, attorney that they chose was an adoption attorney that had just started doing some sort of reproductive contracts, um, egg donor contracts, those kinds of things. And she made up the, the contract, which I still have today. And when I read back, I kind of laugh at it. I mean, there was nothing <laughs> for C-sections. There was nothing. I mean, it was very basic. It was basically stating that I was not, I was not going to claim a child as my own, um, that the intended parents were going to pay for all the bills. And, you know, it was really, and she was, she was a Florida attorney. Yes, she was. You, even though you're in New York. Yeah. She was a Florida attorney. Um, the attorney that kind of reviewed it, I, I spent 20 minutes with this attorney. Um, and he just went over it and said, did you have any questions? And I, you know, it was all really, like you said, it was all on faith. It was like, um, and the law in New York still, as it stands, you know, made it illegal. So we agreed that I was going to fly to Florida um, at the end of this process and get birth there. Never, you know, I never really thought of the logistics even. I just had faith. Right. Which is huge because, yeah. but you it's so unpredictable when you'd give birth. You can't just be like, Oh, I'll come down on January 20th to give birth. You have to I know. do a sniffy amount of time. And I would I never assume that a pregnancy is going to go well, but it's the, that's what we're always all freaking out about in this industry is like, it's the times when things don't go perfectly. That's what we're always looking out for. And it did not go perfectly at the end. Um, oh, no. you know, just, of course it doesn't go perfectly. We had planned once I got pregnant, first of all, I got pregnant with triplets. They, they transferred three embryos. Oh, wow. Wow. And the embryos <clears throat> weren't looking good. Um, it was the intended mom's embryos. The reason she couldn't carry in the first place was she had lupus. So, um, and, and she had uh, a daughter that was one day younger than my daughter. I'm um, one, just one day. And, she had been on bed rest from week 16 with that pregnancy. That's brutal. Yeah, it really is. So we, you know, taking the hormones, um, retrieving the, the eggs and making embryos, it was a, it was a little bit different than it is now. And no one told me, oh, you know, there was no single embryo transfer. It was always three, four, five embryos going right. in, in, in the nineties. Right. Yeah. So 
I got pregnant with three. However, we watched it very closely and one stopped growing around Mm -hmm. seven weeks, seven, eight, nine weeks. And by 10 weeks, 11 weeks, it was dissipating. So I ended up giving birth, spoiler alert, to two girls. And yeah, and, and, but going back, you know, I had one failed transfer. I had this transfer that, that worked with um, the three embryos. And the thing is, I had written in the contract, yes, there was selective reduction. You know, writing in the contract and actually facing it is two, two totally right. different things. Right. So we had like three weeks of conversations about the possibility of selective reduction, where we would have to go. There was only four or five places in the country that did it. I would have to have flown. There was a lot of, you know, do we really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? Um, of course, I was... And- it wasn't reducing it down to one or just two at the beginning. She would have. I think the mom was thinking just right down to one because if you were going to do it, why not do it down to one? Um, but thankfully, nature took its course, and that decision didn't have to be made. But I had already. I had come to the mental decision. I had agreed on paper that I was going to do this. I'm not the one raising these children, and this isn't a story that I share with a lot of surrogates who I talk with who are, who are considering not allowing selective reduction or even termination. It's like, whose baby is this? Who's going to be responsible? Who's going to be raising this child? You know, and, and you have to think you're just the carrier. You are not the one to dis- make these life changing decisions. So I think that it's really important for, for people who want to be surrogates to, to take that into consideration. Well, anyway, on, on that side note, um, around 30 weeks or so, I, I had a gallbladder attack, actually two in a row oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. And oh, no. for no reason at all. I say no reason at all, because I've never had gallbladder problems. I was of normal weight, but then again, I had never carried twins before. So I went into the hospital, um, the first time the emergency room, the first doctor, uh, assumed that it was premature labor and put me, you know, put me on all, all kinds of medication, sent me home. And then I, my husband, you know, made me fried eggs and bacon and toast loaded with butter. And I ate it. And a couple of hours later, I'm having another gallbladder attack. And and the emergency room was different doctor. And he said, did we do a Billy Rubin test? And I was like, I don't know what you guys did, but he said, he did it. He said, you are having gallbladder issues. And so long story short, I, it, all of our plans went out the window, the, the plans of my husband and children flying down at 36 weeks and, um, us having the, the baby, you know, a week after the whole, that whole thing. i I flew down right away. Um, I ended up giving birth, uh, just short of 35 weeks to these twin girls. They were in the NICU only for nine days, but, um, Incredible. Right? yeah. And, and I ended up, uh, with a C-section not expecting that. I mean, I, when I went into the hospital, it was, it was, uh, you know, just shocking to me because it was totally different from my own two children. Uh, the whole process was different. And at the same time, and I know I didn't mention this, I had channel nine, our news, Rochester, New York news following me. They got on the same plane. They were for, for the pregnancy, for the delivery, everything. everything. They, they, Weren't, of course, they weren't at the hospital because it ended up being, um, first of all, the intended parents didn't want to be on the news, but this was a six part mini series of, um, of a surrogacy journey 
um, that, that they had started following around month four or five when they found out about it um, through a friend of a friend. And when they contacted me, I was like, sure, I'd love to educate people. And this is really the beginning of my whole educational career, you know, surrogacy education is mm-hmm. doing this little series. And they, they interviewed um, my family. They interviewed my playgroup friends. They, and they, they interviewed the lawyer in Florida. I mean, they interviewed the doctor. They went all the way through. And then when I called them up and said, listen, I've ha- I'm having this issue. I need to be in Florida. They, they followed me down. And wow. yeah, it was, it was truly amazing. It's on VHS. I, <laughs> and I'm curious, how, how was it received back then? I mean, there's still just so much, um, so many people who have negative feelings about surrogacy. Did you get a lot of personal like, attacks? No, or? actually it was taken, oh, okay. it was yeah. taken really, you know, it was, it was un, still an unknown in that someone, you know, in in New York could do this if they if they left the left the state, and um, you know at the end we had a you know a wrap up where where it was like three months after the pregnancy they came in. So this whole this whole series was was aired after I had already given birth and I was back with my family mm-hmm. and everything was fine. So it had a real happy ending. There was a lot of drama, you know, at the end of it. I I highly recommend, uh, you know, sharing your story with the public because I feel like even now there are pockets of the, you know, of the population that just have no clue what surrogacy is. They think it's baby selling or they think it's, um, you know, being paid to- Exploitation. Yeah, exploitation. And that only poor women that, you know, do- do surrogacy because they need the money. And that was like the, were you, can I ask, were you paid for this? Yes. Yes. I was compensated probably, you know, not necessarily as much as, uh, definitely not as much as people are getting compensated now, but was was, that a big part of why you did it or kind of, how did that factor in? In this first surrogacy, the, the huge part was the relationship with you know, the intended parents and that kind of thing. But if I'm going to be flying all over the place, and leaving my family, I, I mean, I really needed to have some kind of compensation in place where, you know, to take care of all of this extra stuff that was going on. Um, I did a second surrogacy, I'll get to that, but um, which the compensation, I think, um, still wasn't a huge thing, but it definite, I definitely had a better contract and I definitely uh, had other things in place and I and I knew that it was important to be compensated. I say that say it that way because I feel like if you're not compensated at all or just a little bit, that resentment forms. You you start feeling resentment because you're doing you're going over and above. And the intended parents start feeling um what's the word I want to use where they feel like they owe you um some kind of huge favor and they can't possibly pay that back. So if they give you some sort of compensation to help make your life easier, they can breathe a little easier as well because they don't feel like you're doing this huge life-changing thing for absolutely nothing. And if, you know, if compensation can kind of help in that, I don't want to call it guilt, but, you know, kind that kind of feeling of obligation uh, I think it, it helps the process a little bit better. I know that if you're having a sister or a cousin, because I work with that in Washington state a lot, people, their best friend, I think it is a, a little different because of the very close relationship that people 
already have. But if you're going through an agency or you found someone online, you don't have that relationship. So I think the compensation helps a little bit and you can, you can grow and form that relationship. And after the the baby is born, you can continue that relationship. But I think the money helps. I, you've helped me have a baby. I've helped you, um, with putting your kid in private school or, you know, put a down payment on your well, house just, or whatever. It's just such a huge time commitment that people don't think, oh, well, you'll just work your normal job while you're being pregnant. But being a surrogate, you're going to a million appointments and you're injecting yourself and you're, you know, it's just it's so much time. Yeah. Well, and it's not just 10 months. Yeah. And people go, oh, it's just 10 months. It's like, no, 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 no. I mean, by the time, I mean, in our case, by the time we have a surrogate who's ready to be cleared, she's probably been with our right. program from somewhere between three and six months. And that's just before we match her, much less, you know, going through all of the screenings and everything else. I mean, it's a yeah, absolutely, and, and no compensation at all during those three to six months. Um, you know, right. Uh, they, they might start getting right. something just for mileage or, or they've already put out some co-pays or something, but you know, that's reimbursement, not compensation. So in, in all seriousness, it's a, it's a commitment, right. but when you, and I, I want to say, I do not advocate going across borders just to give birth. This is not right. something that, um, <laughs> I, I, I share this story as a, a story of caution. Don't, don't do well, it. And I'm curious. Did you have a plan if you accidentally gave birth in no, New York? No, no plan. I mean, legally, ah, that's no a, plan a sense it's because it yeah. was, you know, when, when you make plans, God laughs and God was laughing really loudly. And, you know, at, at this whole thing, because our plan was, all right, Sharon will get on a plane around 34 weeks. Her family will um, fly down at 36 weeks. The babies will be born around that time. And then two weeks after the vaginal birth, with no complications, you can go to Disneyland or Disney World. And, oh, you know, yeah. And, and have a vacation. Yes. Yeah, oh so we. Gosh, that's, yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh and, and that is not what happened. <laughs> Maybe just give birth at Disneyland or yeah. Disney World. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, God was definitely laughing at that one. Well, yeah. everybody was happy, but we weren't at Disneyland or Disney world. Um, it was, it was totally a, a different scenario. And I ended up staying away from my kids for, for like six weeks before they actually flew down because I did have uh, an emergency C-section emergency because it number one wasn't planned, but number two, this gallbladder issue. And number three, things started shutting down when I was, uh, my blood pressure shot up and, and I was put in the hospital and they were like, we need to have the babies today. And I was like, why can't I just lay around in the hospital for a couple of weeks? Why do we have to, you know, why do we have to jump to, you know, this hoop right now? And the doctor was like, your health is important. We need to, we need to do this and you need to have a C-section. And I was devastated that, this is the first operation I've ever had. So I have to, I mean, I kind of, we didn't talk about this when we talked about, so obviously people know we probably talked before we have these interviews, but we did not address that issue. I did not realize that your health had become deteriorated to that extent. So we know, spoiler alert, that you ended up going on to have a second surrogacy because you already mm -hmm. mentioned it. How did you manage that? Because in this day and age, that's, mm -hmm. that's a deal breaker too. Well, the thing is, um, it was all attributed to the gallbladder and I had the gallbladder okay. removed. Okay. Um, let's see, the babies were born in March. So they're 18, oh, by the way, this birthday. month. Yay. And happy birthday. I know. And, and I had the gallbladder removed in June. 
Um, by the way, they can't do that. I was like, if you're going to give me a C-section, let's remove the gallbladder. I want tummy tuck. Let's, you know, let's, I had a list and the doctor was like, no, no, you can't, you can't do all those things. Different so, surgeries. Yeah. yeah different placement in the body. I'm like, it's all the stomach. I don't know what, you know, but anyway, so yes, the gallbladder was removed. I was once again, healthy weight, healthy lifestyle, healthy, everything. And so when four, four and a half years later in 2004 is one I, so I gave birth in 2000 to these girls. And in 2004, I signed another contract giving birth in, in 2005 to another set of twins. So when I went to that doctor, a different doctor in California, he was like, you're, you're perfectly fine. You, the, the gallbladder is gone. So there's, all of those issues are out the window um, that you that you were having, and I mean, I had no clue that the gallbladder could affect everything in my life so you know deeply. Uh, it took I felt like it took me a year, but you know, a lot of surrogates that do back to back surrogacy they they give birth at six months, they're signing another contract, and then they're trying to get pregnant again you know, a few months after, I really like people to wait at least a year to get their body back to normal. And I waited over four years, uh, to, to do the process again. And I was, um, considered, you know, a advanced <laughs> maternal age. I say that, uh, so yeah. I gave birth at oh, 41. 41. Yeah. Well, ultra advanced. Oh, no, no, no. You're not even advanced. You're advanced, advanced is what we've heard. So yeah. yeah. We're motherly. <laughs> yeah. So, but I got pregnant the first, I mean, I got pregnant the first time it was for a gay couple. They, uh, they shared eggs from an egg, egg donor. So one, uh, who had very healthy sperm had one embryo transferred to me and the other one who had to do ICSI had two embryos transferred to me. And lo and behold, long story short, another spoiler alert, each of them had a baby of their own genetics. So that, that worked out, although it wasn't planned, I was hoping for just a a singleton, Mm -hmm. but I was prepared this time for twins and there were, and if all three of them took, there was probably going to be no selective reduction. And great. And everybody was really happy with the outcome. And I did not, I, I carried to 37 weeks. Both babies were seven pounds a piece. Yeah. Seven pounds a piece. Impressive. A a little hypertension the last three or four days, which is normal. And, you know, we just, but again, um, I started that journey while living in New York. I moved to Florida. They had planned on giving birth in Florida, but in these guys were from New York, as I also, and they had, uh, they were very close to the Connecticut state line. And just around that same time, Connecticut had allowed two, uh, two people, two parents, not mother and father to be on birth certificates. So we changed the place to give birth to Connecticut. I flew up to Connecticut. Shorter I was the trip. first. Oh no, but you, yeah, were, you were in trip. Florida at this point? I was in Florida at the time. Oh, that's fascinating. They didn't just let you give birth where you were, that you still traveled nope. to give birth. Isn't they decided that they wanted both their names on the birth certificates okay, and the birth certificate. And, and it was January. So oh. yeah, it was freezing. Um, after being in Florida, it was freezing. And uh, I had flown up earlier and met an OBGYN that I really liked. She worked at 
uh, a great hospital. So I really felt like I was being taken care of, but I spent like three weeks at a Hyatt near, near the hospital to make sure that I wasn't, you know, flying up in the middle of a snowstorm or, or whatever. So as oh, but, soon as- But that still means you flew up at 34 weeks pregnant with big twins is what you're saying. Huh? Yeah, basically, oh. basically. Uh, I flew up right after, right at the beginning of January and the, and the babies were born on January 19th. So, because I said, I, I need to get, I wanted Christmas and New Year's with my family. And if- I went into labor in Florida, it would have been fine, but it, I didn't and actually was induced. Well, not induced. Um, I had a C-section and we planned it for the day after my own daughter's birthday. So these, these babies were born the day after, but I did miss my daughter's eighth birthday because of the surrogacy. And, and that's what a lot of people don't realize that surrogates, people who are surrogates, they put their family on hold, their family life on hold, their personal issues, everything has to be on hold to put these intended parents first. And, you know, although eight years old, I, I made up, I felt like I made up for it. I mean, today she, she's 22. She doesn't resent me. She's still mad. Is that? No, okay. <laughs> no, no, we've had conversations. She understands. She understood from the first time, even though she was really young, but she understood the, you know, my work and, and what, made me, me. And I think that that's just really important, um, to realize that kids are supporting the surrogate, the husband and partner, the family has to support throughout, or it's really impossible to uh, have a good frame of mind through the whole process. And speaking of your work, you're not just being a surrogate at this point, you're running a matching program and supporting others through surrogacy in Florida. And am I right that you were one of the first Florida programs that wasn't just an attorney doing it or a clinic doing it? Exactly. Um, I worked for that attorney that, that, um, made our contract, the first, the first surrogacy contract. She hired me after I gave birth, even though I was living in New York, I was flying to Florida once a month for a week. I was staying at her you know, uh, at her that office. That sounds super familiar to me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a crazy way to live, but I really loved my work. It was something that I didn't think, I mean, there's no college course out there, uh, you know, running your own agency or working in third party family, <laughs> yes. you know, there, there's nothing out there. And so I'll probably start teaching it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, she, I wrote up a lot of the documents. I, I was the one, um, recruiting and managing cases and, um, about 2003 from 2000 to 2003, I was really immersed in that world of surrogacy, mostly focused in Florida. But when I stayed in New York, when I was, was home, I would be traveling to New York city or, or Buffalo or, just in, in Rochester, uh, talking to intended parents and convincing them that they need to come to Florida, do the surrogacy with Florida surrogates where it's legal. And I brought in a lot of intended parents that way that I met while I was at home. So it was, it was really a, a great balance for me, um, in that way. But there comes a time when you feel like, you know what more needs to be done and working in this law office, wasn't working for me. And I, I got a business partner who was also a surrogate. And we, with the help of, of, um, my past intended father, who was in an insurance and 
the support of our, our spouses and everything, we decided to open our own agency. It was the first agency in Florida who, you know, where intended parents could choose their own clinic, their own attorney. Um, we recommended real people for the psychological evaluations, uh, you know, people who knew what they were talking about. Um, and we really had a, a instant, uh, we were never behind in, in finances. In other words, I mean, I think our first few months we had like five intended parents we were working with and it just, it just grew from there. So when these intended, my second set of intended parents who were referred to our, our agency through another, uh, gay man that we were working with, we just decided, um, I, I tried to match them and, and because of who they were, they just were fixated on just me. And I was like, I better, if I want to do this, it better be now because I'm already 40. Um, I told them that it may not be possible, but once again, I ended up flying to another place to California (laughs) to get a evaluation to see if I am healthy enough in spite of my age. And so the doctor, he's, he does the whole medical exam and he's looking at my uterus. He goes, you have a uterus of a 28 year old. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I wish I could wear that on my face then because wow, I certainly don't look so 48. <laughs> but so forget 41, you had like another 10 years oh, to keep being a surrogate. I'm sure I could be one now. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't want to. That was my last one. And I was very happily retired after that. But, you know, I got pregnant the first time and, and things went fairly smoothly. Uh, and all things considered, it you know, the, the, the babies were healthy. Um, they spent no time in the NICU. The, the fathers were happy. And I came back with a lot more knowledge of how it works on the West Coast because having the the transfer over in California and, uh, the attorney was in California and the escrow was held in California. I didn't have escrow the first, an escrow agent the first time. I mean, even though I had been working in, in Florida and, and doing the whole matching thing, knowing what the West coast was doing, because it's still known as the wild, wild West, you know, really helped me to, to see how, you know, to kind of reflect on other options, other perspectives. Exactly. Definitely. And I think it's great when, you know, to, to grow your, the thought process and, and not be stuck in the same state. But it was interesting how they were saying California was the wild, wild west when Florida really was the wild, wild west at the time. I mean, we were, <laughs> like, no, no, yeah. California is like no way beyond that. Yeah. Now. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when you're the first and you're, and then other people are coming along and we had a really great relationship with a lot of other businesses in Florida. Um, as they popped up, people that we knew were opening up their, you know, their own agencies, someone who had worked in a doctor's office, for instance, and had been an egg donor, someone who's, you know, who wanted to be a surrogate and had several failed surrogacies until she opened her own agency and then finally was able to be a surrogate. I mean, just different branches of, um, type, different types of people trying to help others. And, and I really think that it was, it was kind of a family when we were there. I mean, we could, we could meet, we could talk. We didn't feel like we were in competition with each other, but now it's, it's, you know, across the country, it's, it's full of competition. I mean, you just feel like, because I think then there were more surrogates than, or more women who wanted to be surrogates than intended parents. And now I think it's flip-flopped. And now it's very reversed. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, so then you had a major, well, first, any other really favorite stories of surrogacies from your time in Florida running an agency besides your own? Oh, geez. There, there, one that comes to mind. Okay. What's the, what's the number one that comes to mind? Oh, wow. There are so many. It's, it's interesting when, you know, people ask me that. I mean, I've got sad stories um, and I've got, you know, I've got stories of just, I, I, I think just human um, perseverance. I have uh, an intended mom who tried for years to get pregnant on her own. We matched her with a surrogate, uh, a surrogate who had been experienced. I think she had given birth to two sets of twins before, and she ended up getting toxemia at 23 oh. weeks. And uh, I was there along with one of our, our case managers while she gave birth because the intended parents were in, were in Austria telling the father's parents that they were going to have a baby finally. And here they were actually losing a baby. Um, And so the baby didn't make it. No, the baby was born um, at like 23 weeks. And we, I was there holding this baby while it was taking its last breath. I mean, it was, they induced, it is. However, um, the, the intended mom came to me and said, you know, would you give up? would you give up right, right now? And I looked at her, I said, if you're asking me if I would give up, then you're not ready to give up because you don't need anybody's opinion when you're ready to give up. You wouldn't be asking. So we matched her with another surrogate who actually ended up having a miscarriage. And then, and because it wasn't her fault, the doctor said, let's try this one more time. We had frozen embryos. And she got pregnant with twins. And now these boy-girl twins are like in third grade. Oh, yeah. And this mom is... So much to go through. Yeah, she is such an advocate for surrogacy now. And and I know she she feels like, you know, I was able to support her. But really, it was her own core belief that this was going to happen. And um, I'm going to be seeing them when I'm in Florida next week. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yeah, there's just, you know... There's just so many different stories like that of perseverance, you know, of not giving up, of of believing that this, you know, you want a family and this is the way I'm going to, I'm going to get my family. And as a as an agency owner, supporting those people, I know it's extra time, extra effort, but I think that you get a lifelong, um, a, just a, a lifelong feeling of, of um, gratitude for helping someone like that. I mean, they touched my life just as much as, you know, I've touched theirs. So, so, so your you, career oh. took a major, sorry, took a major shift seven, eight years ago because you moved States. Yeah. I moved to Washington state cause my husband had a, a job offer and of, you know, I, th- I think things happen for a reason, but at the time I was, you know, there was this housing bubble going on in Florida, you know, 2007 is when we moved here. And I already knew Washington state did not, uh, compensate, compensated surrogacy was illegal here. And I, and I thought, well, you know what, I'll just, I'll just take it. I'll just do something different. I'll just get out of the business completely. But when you're shutting down an agency, it takes a long time. Cause we had about 20 clients in the pipeline. So what we did, my business partner and I, is we stopped taking new clients and we worked with the ones we had. And that took about a year and a half to process everyone throughout 
you know, to go through the whole journey where we had some people had who had just been matched and others who were pregnant and due, we had to walk them all the way through. And we wanted our last client to feel like the first client we had that, that we did not skimp on anything. And we didn't. That's good to hear. That's the right way to close a business. For absolutely. Sure. They didn't even realize we were closing the business because we kept our website up. We just put, we're not taking new clients at this time on our front page, but all the information was still there. We were still getting calls, but we were, and you know, we just, we just, I was flying from Seattle to Florida, um, almost once a month or once every two to make sure that everybody was was getting the the support they needed. But I was flying there for births. I was flying there, you know, to make sure that they all felt like that they were being supported. My business partner was still living in Florida, but she was planning a, a move to Tennessee. And really everything started to close. And I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to do something different. But for some reason, fate didn't allow that. Um, so I, so I know it didn't happen, but I'm curious, what was your career dream at that point? Well, what, what did you think you might do? I, I thought I would just, you know, that's, that's a good question because what I just did was <laughs> I, I kind of just dove into, you know, my daughter at the time was in sixth grade. I, you know, wanted to be more supportive of her, do more yeah. of the mom stuff and just to kind of take a sure. break. Um, my husband had started a new job, you know, it was a new area to explore. Uh, there was a lot of things that I, I felt like I could take a break from, but again, it's still work when you're closing down a business and all of my colleagues or a lot of them were calling me to ask me advice about, you know, networking and who I, you, who I went to for, for this thing and different publications. And, you know, and I, I just kind of ended up doing a lot of free consultation with people already in the, in the field. And then one day it dawned on me, why not make this into a, a, a business support service? Although I was kind of thinking, ah, no one's going to want to pay for this. I mean, it's such a niche, you know, little market, but lo and behold, I mean, I've got a lot of business. I do people's social networking um, because they don't have time. They don't have time to blog. They don't have time. You know, I, I'm a, a small business support person and in the infertility slash, you know, fertility field or because, you know, even I even have escrow um, agencies who have hired me. I have um, lawyers and clinics and, you know, other agencies where I just get on and, and do things for them. Uh, sometimes I'll do recruiting. Sometimes I'll I'll just uh, do mentoring. And and that's my favorite thing to do is mentoring. That's a lot. Yeah. So why might your business change in um, January, on January 1st, 2019? <laughs> as, as a lot of people have heard, Washington State for years has been trying to pass a surrogacy. It's a uniform parentage action, actually. So in this, in this bill, a lot of things have changed, allowing, um, you know, different different parentage parent groups to uh, have more legal say over their children but the part that i'm interested in of course was surrogacy surrogacy had been uncompensated so uh and it's, it was actually a law you know they had laws on how old you could be and that you needed the psychological evaluation and you know those kinds of things but you can't couldn't be compensated as a surrogate you couldn't be paid and I think it was 2010 and 2011, um, the bill tried to go through and I was in Olympia, which is the capital of Washington, trying to, um, I was testifying in front of the house and the Senate 
And it was always Republican um, run. The Republicans uh, outnumbered the Democrats. So it never passed the Senate. How was that to testify with a Republican, with an unfriendly Very unfriendly. Very unfriendly. I mean, they, they basically, you know, said to my face, that women shouldn't be compensated for something they can do so easily and naturally. And that, uh, you know, getting paid and selling babies, you know, is unethical. And I mean, they, and um, that it would be taking advantage of poor women that they don't seem to realize that women can make up their own mind. Number one, number two, agencies and, and guidelines in place where you can't use federal or state insurance or you can't be on it, you know, in assisted housing right. and that kind of thing. They, they don't realize that this is India, right. Right. <laughs> you know, that uh, we're not plucking poor women off the street, asking them to get pregnant, putting them in dormitories for months on end and, and not allowing them to have relationships with intended parents. I mean, it's a, it's totally different as you both know. So, um, then comes 2018, where finally the Democrats are leading in the House and, and in the Senate. And Senator Patterson, uh, uh, Peterson, Jamie Peterson, he uh, is a gay man who has four kids, I believe, and had to go to California. Um, another woman, um, Jennifer Tammen, who also was an intended parent 17 years ago, she and her son had been had been advocating for this law and they also testified. I mean, I did not testify this time, but I went to support her 17 year old son. Yes. Yes, he did. And, and she flew. Yeah, he was great. And, and he, and they flew their surrogate, a fourth time surrogate from California to also testify. So, I mean, but we had Jennifer law, we had, um, People from the Christian right and uh, M- uh, people who had been uh, born through egg donation all against it, uh, you know, saying that it just wasn't right, that the children weren't put first, that intended parents don't have the right to procreate. It's a it's not a right. It's a it's a gift or something along those lines. And that uh, surrogacy and paid surrogacy was wrong all, all across the board. Um but still, mm, if you don't have a right to procreate, I'm just kind of curious what to that end. Like, it's so no, no IVF, no Clomid, no, no, no anything. Is that it, it, you know, it's a God given. It's a God decides. Don't you know that? I, I also, I, I just like, I'm struck by the idea of somebody who is already born saying, I wish I hadn't been born. I mean, that just sounds horrifying to me. You know, I, who uh, knows how, what their life is. But I don't think they real. I don't. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't think anybody's given them a psychological evaluation. I don't know. It, it's something that I can't relate to. Um, no matter how bad things are, to actually sit in front of a panel and just say, you know, um, people don't deserve to have children. They, you know, not deserve to have children, but they they shouldn't have children in this way because it's. Because God decides whether, you know, you should become pregnant or not. I mean, it's, uh, I I really hesitate at. I mean, I I know it's really complex, but it's hard to be, not to think along the extreme of that of, you know, God, we have medicine, right? If God didn't want you to be sick, then you shouldn't need this medicine that 
doctors create it. I don't exactly when people when people come to me and and mention and they pull the the God card. I say so if you're taking medication for diabetes, you should you know you shouldn't be given it. If you need a kidney, you sh- you should not have a transplant. If you have a heart condition, you know you can go down the line right. of what we what we do to prolong our lives. Now, granted, back in the olden days, you know, people just died at age 30. I mean, we didn't even... As it, God intended. Yeah, exactly. And, and now our lives are, you know, you can live to be 100. So, you know, if I'm like, it's okay for you. You can make that decision for yourself, but it's not okay to make that decision for others. Um, what about free will, which is a whole you know, we have free will. And if these, these people want to have a child and, you know, gay couples, singles, lesbian couples, whatever, if they want to have children, they should be able to have them. Yay. We're right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just the way I feel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. We live in a crazy um, So what does the future hold after given the, the legal change and how, how excited are you? I, I'm very, I'm very excited for the people of Washington state. I mean, there, I get a lot of calls from women who want to be surrogates and they know that they can't be paid. Uh, I've actually introduced some intended parents to Washington surrogates knowing that they won't be paid. Um, so now with this law passed, I'm really hoping to be able to help even more people. Maybe, I'll be working with another agency. I don't, I don't really want to open my own agency by myself because really to do this right, you need a team mm-hmm. and, to, sure. and it really is every, everybody I talk to, I say, you know, you need a business partner, you need a team, you need, because you want to have a life too, but you want to give, um, give your intended parents and the surrogates the support they need. And once someone, you know, signs up, they expect you to hold their hand to to walk them through, and if that means that they're having some sort of bleeding at three a.m. and they right. call you, you need to be there to, you know, reassure them to to tell them that you're going to, you know, help them any way you can, and to make sure that they're getting the right medical treatment. And you know, I and intended parents, you know, you want to make sure that all of their eyes are dotted, the t's are crossed in their journey as well, and. And to do it right, you need a team and you can't do it by yourself, really. Yeah. Babies and emergencies do not happen on planned schedules for sure. Um, oh, that's for sure. And I know that firsthand. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, you know, so I've had the secondary infertility. It helps me relate to intended parents. I've had two sets of twins. That helps me to relate to uh, through, through C-sections. It helps me to re- relate to women who have multiple multiples in their pregnancies. I mean, I've had my own singletons and that helps me relate to that, those people. So I I feel like I've got like all of this experience and why not continue on to share, you know, to share it with others. And thank you for sharing it with us. I know we've just barely skimmed the top of your stories and your experience and all of your knowledge. So I think that, you know, we'll see if we can have you come back again, but I I really appreciate you taking the time to to share this much with us. Yes, I'd love to come back. I think think I'll have a lot of interesting stories come January. Um, Yes. Yes. We're looking forward to that. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Sharon, so much for coming by and talking to us today. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with you, hopefully in the future. 
lesson of the day. Um, one, that your life can really be changed in amazing ways when you first just think, oh, I think I'll help someone. I can do this amazing gift. But then it might change your entire world and your career uh, and other people's worlds and other states' laws. Um, second lesson of the day is that you know the laws can change, that just because a law is something right now doesn't mean it'll always be that way forever and that we really can make a difference in influencing um, a change. Which is awesome. Yeah. So you can make a change for us in our podcast. Oh, wait. No, sorry. Uh, You could definitely reach out and leave a message for us on our uh, message machine. And we would be happy to play that feedback on the air if it is something that seems relevant and awesome. So uh, our number for that is 303-997-1903. The other thing that would make a huge impact and change for us as a podcast is to leave us a review on iTunes. We we love to get the feedback. We like to know that everybody is out there and listening and that you are enjoying it. So, and even if you're not enjoying it, we we, we still would like to listen. You know, I mean, that, that's okay. We'll, we'll take our, our torture, torture yourself. That's right. Um, but I would like to point out that this is our last episode of season one. So we're going to take a three-week break uh, just to allow ourselves a little bit of rest and recuperation time and and to get caught up because there are some really awesome people out there that we want just to be able to schedule appropriately to get in there. And while we are taking that break, there will be a mini teaser in there about our bonus episodes. So keep an eye out for that. It'll probably be just a quick minute or two so that you can hear a little bit about what the bonus episodes would be if you wanted to join us over on our Patreon community. So we are looking forward to connecting with everybody again in about three weeks. So talk to you soon.